So we begin reading in John chapter 12 and verse 27. Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When we look at the life of Christ, we see kind of similarities between his birth and his death. The one is the purpose for the other. And when we think back to when Christ was, it was proclaimed that He was coming into the world, and specifically I think of like the shepherds, when they get the visit from the angels, what do they sing? Glory to God. Glory to God. And then when we look at the end of Christ's life in this passage, when He's coming up toward that hour, and now the hour is here, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The hour that he's talking about in verse 27 where we picked up reading is the hour of his death. And when he looks at his death on the cross, what is the thing that he's number one most concerned about is the glory of God. He will ask the Father, say, Father, glorify your name. And God will answer back to him, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. And Jesus has already said earlier in the passage that in his death, in this hour, this is when he would glorify God. He would be glorifying God through his death. And so his birth is announced as bringing honor and glory to God. His death is also uh, announced as being that which would bring honor and glory for God. We've also seen throughout his ministry that his constant focus is to bring honor and glory to God. Remember, like, for example, the healing of the blind man, guy that was blind from birth. And the disciples asked Jesus, did this guy sin or was it his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither of them. It's not about that. It was for the glory of God. So that when Jesus healed him of that blindness, everybody would marvel and it would point to the fact that Christ was the Son of God and it would bring glory and honor to God. We also saw it in the raising of Lazarus, Jesus' most recent and most extravagant miracle or sign, as John calls him, that he had performed up to this point. In John chapter 11 and verse 4, it says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness, and what he heard was that Lazarus was sick, very sick, and they had asked Jesus to come and heal him. Well, Jesus heard about it, and then He waited a little bit longer, allowed Lazarus to die. So by the time Jesus gets back there, Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days, and then Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. And what is the purpose of all that taking place? He says in verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. It would go through death, but not stay there. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then Jesus, in His conversation with Lazarus' sister, said in verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so Jesus has pointed out that that was actually staged, if you think of it, in a sense. Not staged as in it was fake, but allowed to take place for the purpose of His resurrection, for the purpose of bringing glory and honor to God. And Jesus, at this point, as He heads toward His own death and coming resurrection, He says in verses 32 and 33, 
And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. He said this to show what kind of death He was going to die. And so you see, Jesus now at this point is focused on His death. He said, the hour's here. And His greatest concern, that I glorify God in My death. And the Father says, it's going to happen. Now, the people would completely understand what He's talking about. He says, the Son of Man would be lifted up. And He did that to give an indication to tell everybody how He would, how he would die. The people of that area were very familiar with the Roman crucifixion. And it would be referred to as being lifted up. Because you were taken and nailed to a cross and lifted up in plain view of everybody to see. Rome crucified thousands of people. And so everybody was very familiar with what it meant to be lifted up. In fact, it even says in the verses we just read that the reason Jesus said, uh, when I am lifted up, is so that everybody would know what kind of death He was going to die. That's also why, if you remember back to when we were going through John chapter 3, and He's having a conversation with Nicodemus, and Jesus startles Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you're not even going to see the kingdom of heaven. Well, he goes on in the conversation to clarify to Nicodemus, how does one become born again? And when you get to verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 3, Jesus would look back at Israel's history. (coughs) Israel's history, when they rebelled against God, poisonous snakes came into the camp, and people got bit and began to get sick and die. And God made a way of salvation. He told Moses to make a bronze serpent around a staff and to hold that staff up, to lift it up. And everybody that got bit, all they had to do was look at that serpent in faith and they would be healed. And Jesus says that was pointing to Him. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And so Jesus is clearly talking about His death, specifically that He would be going to the cross, and when He was lifted up, that He would honor God. Now, the crowd understood that. They knew exactly what He was taking. We see evidence of that in verse 34. Because if some of the crowd answer back to Him, And they say, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They're saying, look, if if the Christ is supposed to go on forever, and there are passages that talk about Him sitting like on the throne of His father, David, forever, then how can He be lifted up? In other words, put to death on the cross. How do you... we, We don't get it. Now, they needed to read a few more passages of the Old Testament. Because when you look throughout the Old Testament, there are prophecies about Christ ruling and reigning forever, which Jesus will do when He comes back. But there are also prophecies about Him suffering and dying to pay for our sins. Daniel talked about the coming One, the Messiah, that would come in and then be cut off. Um, Isaiah talked about the One who would be wounded for our transgressions. In fact, there's many details in Isaiah and in different ones of the Psalms and different places, details of what Christ would experience while He was on that cross laying down His life for us. And so, when they say, we don't get it, the Christ is going to live forever. No, there's also passages about Him dying in our place in suffering in that way. But they were clearly understanding what He was talking about that he, when He said, I'm going to be lifted up, they knew He was talking about His death. In the passage that we just read, Jesus prays to the Father and He says, Father, glorify, be glorified in His coming death. And the Father says, I have glorified Myself and I will do it again. And everybody got to hear that. One of only a few times in the history of the world that that's happened. If you look back into the Old Testament, you find God speaking to man audibly like that. Very few occasions. But about 20 some of them. Uh, about 22 maybe. They're kind of hard to count. New Testament, three. That's it. Just three. 
And so this, this is not the kind of thing that happens on a regular basis by any stretch. And any time that you see it happening, it's a huge monumental event. Right? It's not telling you what, which car to buy or anything like that. These are big history-changing events. That is done for the benefit of the people that are hearing. It wasn't for God's benefit. It wasn't for Jesus' benefit. It was for the benefit of the people hearing. Just like what happened with Lazarus. He says this, Father, I thank You that You have heard Me. I knew that You always hear Me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that You sent Me. When He had said these things, He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And so Jesus is doing a lot of things here that are demonstrating to the people so that they see the connection that look, God is answering His prayer. And that was all done for their benefit as well. So Jesus is doing these things to the good of the people, but for the glory of God. And so in His birth, His ministry, and His death, we find the focus of glory to God. Now, as we look down through this passage, there are four ways that God glorifies Himself, specifically in the death of Christ. The first way that we see that He glorifies Himself in the death of Christ is through judgment. It says in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. The cross is judgment. The cross is where Christ dies on our behalf. We stand underneath the condemnation of God until the cross. Right? When Jesus went to that cross, He bore my sin on that cross. He bore your sin on that cross. He was a substitutionary atonement. That's exactly why Romans chapter 8 starts off and says, therefore, looking back at all the things Christ has done for us, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, because if you put your faith in Jesus, you are now in Christ. You're in Him. You were judged in Him. The moment I put my faith in Christ, I became in Christ and all my sins were already judged in the cross. When Jesus died on that cross, that was the judgment for my sin. And it's already been paid. So now it becomes a very clear distinction. And the choice is yours. If I put my faith in Christ, then all my sins are already judged by God. They're already paid for through the death of Christ. I'm completely free of them. Or you can bear them yourself and stand before God and have an eternity without Him. There's not another option. Jesus didn't say, I am a way. He said, I'm the way. He didn't say, I'm a truth or I'm your truth or somebody else's truth. He said, I'm the truth and I'm the life. And so one of the ways that God is glorified is in judgment. You know, that's the one thing that is determined. God is God and so He deserves to be honored and glorified and He will get glory. It is wrong for God to not be glorified because of who He is. The best thing in our life is for Him to be glorified in our life, no matter what that involves. The Apostle Paul says, I can neither glorify Him in my life, glorify Him in my death. Whichever one i got to face, I just want to glorify God. And that needs to be our perspective. Because the greatest thing in all things is the glory of God because of the supremacy of His being. But here's the deal. If God saves you, if you put your faith in Christ and believe in Him and get eternal life and the grace of God in your life, then you know what? God's glorified in that. God is seen as gracious and loving and kind, and He's honored. Well, you know what? If you refuse, if you say, no, I'm not going that route. I'm going to live my own life, call my own shots, do my own thing. I don't need a God. I don't need a Savior. It doesn't mean God's not going to be glorified. He's still going to be glorified, but He's going to be glorified in your judgment. And then, how is God glorified in your judgment? Well, because He's seen to be just and holy and righteous, and so He's glorified in that way. So either way, God will be glorified. You know, the only really thing is where you experience it. Experience it through your own judgment or you experience it through the judgment of the cross and have a whole eternal life for Him. Well, not only does Christ honor God in His death through judgment, He also honors God through death in victory. It says, Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. 
Now, obviously, he was talking about Satan. And when Satan rebelled against God in heaven, the Bible says that he was cast out. Now, he obviously actually still has some access to heaven and the throne of God because when you read like the events of the book of Job, and the Bible tells us that he is, one of his titles is the accuser of the brethren, which means he loves to go before God on your behalf or against your behalf and say, look at what, look at what they've done. Look at that sin. Look at that sin. But we get toward the end and we find that uh, Satan is going to be cast out again. He's going to be cast in a bottomless pit for a thousand years and then released for a little while and then cast into the lake of fire forever. And so he's, he gets cast out quite a few different times, Satan does. And that's what he tells us here. Jesus says, look, now is the prince of this world cast out. In what sense is he cast out? Because the Bible also tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. Jesus cast some demons out during the life of his ministry. Of course, that was before the cross. And it's at the moment of the cross that Satan is cast out. So what, what does it mean, cast out? Well, I think there's a, there's a couple possibilities. I think one, kind of the way I've always seen it, is that the death blow, the final nail in the coffin for Satan, that nail is the cross. The moment Jesus died on the cross and then rose again from the dead, Satan's doom is fixed. It's a done deal. And so I always figured that's what it meant. Even though Satan's still active in this world today, in a sense, his reign is come to an end. That which is necessary has taken place. And so when Jesus comes back to fulfill all those things, it will all be done. Or I found it interesting. I was reading uh, John Piper this week. He had an interesting thought. And he thinks that what Satan is cast out of at that moment is the courtroom of God. He says, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And he says, what is the ammunition that Satan has for that? The unforgiven sins that we have. But you know what? The moment the cross happened, we don't have any unforgiven sins anymore. Satan shows up before God now and tries to say, hey, look at Greg's sin. You've got to judge him. I don't have any unforgiven sins anymore. They're all taken care of at the cross. And so Satan doesn't really have anything to argue in that courtroom. And so John Piper was saying he, he thinks that maybe Satan is cast out of the courtroom of God in that day. And so now he's just wreaking havoc in any old random direction that he can at the moment. Well, that's possible. But I do know one thing that no matter which way you understand that or which way is the true understanding of it, he loses. We win. What is the point Jesus is making? Is we have victory now in Christ. Yes, Right now, you still need to put on the full armor of God because there's a spiritual battle raging all around us. But you know what? It's not up in the air whether or not you're going to win or lose in this. You win. Through your faith in Christ, you win. The victory is ours. Well, then he mentions a third way. The third way that he honors God through his death is in salvation. Now, the phrase that I'm looking at, that I'm labeling salvation, and there's a little bit of overlap in, in all of these things because victory is part of our salvation. Obviously, the judgment taking place in the cross is part of our salvation. So there's definitely some overlap. But you have the salvation because it says, and I, in verse 32, when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. Now, what exactly does that mean? I, when I am lifted up, we already know what that means when I'm, when I'm on the cross. I will draw all people to myself. The word, the word draw is used about five different times in the Gospel of John. Three of them have to do with uh, drawing out the water that was turned to wine at the feast. Uh, drawing water out of a well from the woman at the well. How do we understand that? What exactly does that mean? Well, it, it depends on... It kind of comes down to our understanding of two different words. One of the words is draw, and the other word is all. It can't be the word people, because the word people isn't actually in the text. In the original language, in the text, it just says, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all to myself. It's definitely talking about people. So to have people in there is not necessarily wrong in that sense. But what does it mean by all people? So there's about three different possibilities that are out there. The first one is to understand the word draw in a general sense, but all in a specific sense. 
In other words, the all people is all people everywhere will be drawn to Christ when He is lifted up on the cross. Now, if that's the case, then the word draw has to be taken in a general sense. In other words, He's drawing everybody to Himself and some people are actually going to be drawn to Him, are going to come and believe in Him. Others are not going to believe in Him. It's kind of like if you remember when we studied the use of the word call. Right? Because the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. So there's this general call that goes out to everybody, but not everybody responds in faith to Christ. But there's also in the Bible a specific way that the word called is used, that all of the called respond to Christ. And this word draw is kind of the same kind of a thing. Does it mean draw in like a general way, like everybody is drawn in the whole world, and some are going to respond in faith and some are not? Well, that's, that's a possibility. Or there's another possibility, and the other possibility is that the word people, take that in a general sense, but draw in a specific sense. Okay? A lot of commentators say that it means all kinds of people. The, like, the, like the drawing of God is specific. In other words, if God draws you, you're drawn, you're coming. But the people is more general. In other words, it's saying that He draws all kinds of people. Not just Jewish people, but Gentile people. Greek people. In fact, we just saw at the end of the last passage we looked at it, a group of Greek people come and seek out Jesus. And that's kind of what started this whole conversation. Or at least they were there for when Jesus wanted to start this conversation. And so, not that it's specific to every person, but all kinds of people. Jewish people, Gentile people. Now, there, is, there are some things in the context that commend that. In John chapter 6, and verse 44, it says, No one can come to Me unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Obviously, this use of the word draw in the Gospel of John is a very specific that, uh, that if, if God draws you, you are drawn. You do respond. John chapter 6, verses 64 and 65 says, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray Him. And He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless it is granted to Him by the Father, unless He's drawn by the Father. So in other words, the drawing is, is very specific. John chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to My voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. So I guess the point that I, that's being made with this idea is that when Jesus used the word draw earlier in John, it was specific. In fact, He was telling people, some of you don't believe because God's not drawing you. And nobody can come to, to Christ unless He's drawn by God. And so He was using in that context, He was using it very specific. Does that mean He is here? No, that's what we've got to figure out. But then also, He has passages like this one in John chapter 10, and verse 16, where He says what? I have other sheep that are of a different fold. And I've got to bring them also. And to, to all the sheep will be in one fold. John chapter 11, verse 52 also says, And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Jesus is talking in both of those situations about the fact that it's not only going to be Jewish people that are going to come to Christ, it's going to be Gentile people too. The promise that God gave Abraham in the very beginning finished with, and all nations of the world will be blessed through you. So God actually preached the Gospel to Abraham in that original covenant. And so Jesus said, look, it's not only the Jewish people that are going to come to Me, but Gentile people that are going to come to Me. So it is possible that what this passage is saying is that Jesus is saying, I'm going to draw all kinds of people. Not a specific sense of drawing each individual person, but I'm going to draw all kinds of people to Myself. Jewish people, Gentile people, all peoples. So that's another possibility. Now, the last one is that the term draw all, that that whole thing is taken in a very specific sense. That the drawing is specific. If God draws you, you are drawn. You will respond. And the all is taken 
in a very specific sense as well. And so with this one, we're going to get into, well, what does the word all mean? Well, there is a saying out there that makes this pretty simple. All means all, and that's all all means. But the problem is, simple isn't always accurate, right? Shallow water is always clear. Deep water is a little tougher to navigate. And so while it sounds like a simple and profound answer, you have to stop and think, is it true? Does all mean all, and that's all all means? Well, let me ask you this. In your own personal use of the word all, is it true? When your teenager comes out to you with a handful of dishes, and you say, is that all of them? Do you mean, is that all the dishes in the whole house? Or do you mean, is that all the dishes that you've taken into your room and finished a snack and not bringing out for the last week? Or are there still some others that need to come out of there? Or when later when they go off to college and they come home from college with a big bag of clothes, and you say, is that all of it? Do you mean, is this every stitch of clothing that you own? Or do you mean, is that all the dirty clothes that you're bringing home for me to do for you? You see, the whole point is that all, like every other word in, in the English language or any other language, it depends on the context. And that's what we find. We're going to take a small tour of the Gospel of John and what, how, what is John's use of the word all. And it's, it's as simple as ours. We use it in many different ways. John chapter 1 and verse 7, this is talking about John the Baptist and it says, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. I think it just means that all, uh, that everybody, that all might believe. That's the whole goal is He's presenting Christ, wants everybody to hear and to believe on Christ. Pretty simple. But then in John 1.12, after saying that Jesus came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. They did not welcome Him. They did not believe in Him. It says, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. This one is not all people, but all who did receive Him. In other words, all the people that did believe in God, He gave the right to become children of God. So He used the word all in talking of a narrowed group at that point. And then in verse 16, it says, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Now it gets a little more confusing. We have all received grace upon grace. Is He talking about the all of verse 7, which is all people everywhere? Or is He talking about the all of verse 12, that is all who believed in Him have experienced the grace of God? There is what we call a common grace. God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust alike. But then there's also a saving grace that's more specific. And so it could mean that... All people everywhere have experienced the grace of God to one extent or another. Of course they have. Or it could be talking more specifically and saying, look at that we who have put our faith in Christ, look at the experience of the grace of God that we've had at this point. Well, John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Obviously, it means all people. Two categories. The saved go on into heaven, the unsaved, off into hell. That's all the people that there is in the world. So, uh, obviously, that means all people. Well, in verses 36 and 40 of John chapter 6, it says, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And so notice here again, all is more restrictive because just like John 1.12 said, all who believe in Him, now it says, all who the Father has given Me. And so it's a more narrowed group. John chapter 6, verses 44 and 45 says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. As it is written in the prophets, 
and they will all be taught by God. Now, who's that referring to? The all in that case is referring to specifically those are the ones that are drawn by the Father and raised to new life. John chapter 13, And you are clean, talking about the disciples as a whole, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. And so again, using the word all to refer just to the group of disciples. John chapter 10, verses 2 through 4 says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all, all what? All sheep? No. All his sheep. Right? Because the whole picture is that he goes to a sheep pen, and there's a doorkeeper of the sheep pen. And there's lots of sheep in there, but only some of them are his. And when he has taken out all of his own, then he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And John chapter 17, verses 1 and 2 says, When Jesus had spoken these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. So there he is again, looking even closer to a closer view of his death. And he again, glorify God since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to Him. And so there's two cases where the word all is used and they mean completely different things. In one sense, Jesus says, God, You've given me the Father. You've given me authority over all flesh. Everybody. But then, to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. I guess the point is I'm trying to make is when you look all through the Gospel of John, all is used in a number of different ways. Sometimes it's used of all people. Well, if, it, if that's the sense that we're to take it in this chapter then that means that God has put out a general drawing when Jesus was lifted up, that God would draw all people to Himself. Or the last possibility is that this is all specific. It means that Jesus would draw to Himself those whom the Father has given to Him. All of it is specific. Now, which way are we to take it in this passage? That's what you have to wrestle with. That's swimming in the deep waters. All three of those, I think, are valid possibilities. I do think when you look at where this passage goes, maybe it favors the latter one. And the reason is because as we go into the next verses, it says, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. You see, part of the problem with having in this situation, I think, all mean everybody in the world, is that then you're saying that Jesus was drawing Judas to himself, and he clearly wasn't. You also have to look to the religious leaders that Jesus had told them, look, you're not my sheep, that's why, you're not, that's why you don't believe. And these are people that have committed to blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that we learned about in Matthew. And so in one sense, in that way, all cannot mean all people because the religious leaders that had committed the unforgivable sin would not be drawn to Christ when he was lifted up. Judas would not be drawn to Christ when he was lifted up. And so I think that probably the latter of those options has the most probability with close context. But at any rate, what is it talking about? It's talking about the salvation that we experience through God. That through Christ's death on the cross that he would be raised up, we would be drawn to him and to his grace and receive eternal life at the hand of our Father through the death and the resurrection of his Son, Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the very last point. It says in verse 35, So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. You see, the last way that Christ honors the Father 
in the cross, in His death on the cross, is through our transformation. The moment we put our faith in Christ, we go from being a child of darkness into the light. Jesus would, earlier in His ministry, earlier in the Gospel of John, as we learned, He would stand up and say, I am the light of the world. You know, other places like Matthew chapter 5, Jesus would then turn to His disciples and say, you're the light of the world. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Put it up on a mantle where everybody can see it. Let them see the work of God in you that they might glorify your Father on the day of visitation. When we put our faith in Christ and we're delivered from our sin, we experience that salvation and we experience our judgment being shifted to Christ and He has borne our judgment for us and we've experienced this victory over Satan, then it is a tangible victory. We do get victories in this life. Our life is changed. They are transformed. I'm not the same person I was the day that I accepted Christ. A lot of things have happened inside of me. You're not the same person you were the day you accepted Christ. You're growing more and more into His image. And you're being transformed from the inside out. Whereas once you had walked in darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Believe in the light and you'll become sons of light.